All right, gang. It is that time of the year. It is the best nice time of the year. It's that time of the week. It's that time of the year. It's you know what? It's always a good time for the True Wealth Radio Show. Uh, welcome, as always, to the greatest Tuesday you've had all week. I am your host, Dave Littlejohn, with me in studio today, Matt Dixon, and we have got a fun show to cover. Let me tell you, uh, this one today we've we put tremendous thought oh, and yeah. marginal preparation into. <laughs> that's that's always the best show. You can come in over prepared and just yeah. botch the whole thing. Right. So But we're ready to go. Here's here's where we, we landed on this. We've been talking this through. I actually did think about this. Uh one of the most common uh it's not that it's a question, but one of the most common topics that comes up with investing, which is Taco Tuesday. <laughs> Taco Tuesday, <laughs> without question. Yeah, Taco Tuesday. Yep. Yeah. Um, Anytime I go by Smoking Friday's Barbecue and get their tacos, it makes my entire day. Yeah. And I was there today, and they're awesome. So if you haven't been, you got to go check them out. Yeah. And on Wednesdays, they have rice bowls, the Southwest Bowl. I love it. So I got to give All them right. a shout out. So shout out to Smoking Fridays. Oh yeah. For hooking it up. Uh, way to go. And for. The rest of Taco Tuesday. Remember, it's not too late. You go see him, I suppose. Mm -hmm. uh, but <laughs> what's the time? Taco Tuesday is not. I just really derailed the your whole thing. The time. <laughs> <laughs> you were so you were gonna intro that with I was like just drop it right in there. You're like no, no, I, no. I had Tacos. to keep I had to keep you on your toes, keep you on your heels. <laughs> uh, so use of cash. In investment strategies. Wow, that is an underrated thing that a lot of people don't talk about. Right? It's it's something. So, so today's show is the cash show. Mm. Okay? If, if we're going to talk about like that. This show is all about cash money. What are you using cash for in your strategy? Okay? And I think that this is one of those deals that ends up, um, again, being sort of uh, just overlooked or misunderstood often mm -hmm. and misunderstood is probably the better term i would think wise. so and because if you think about it a lot of folks don't consider cash an asset why no. do i say that well a lot of people are under this assumption that if i have cash just sitting there it's a bad thing and even more so lately with inflation right everyone's talking about it everyone's concerned and they don't want to lose to inflation and i get it and you're right you don't want to lose to inflation, but sometimes it's good to have cash available because it lends you opportunities. Right. So we're going to talk today about a number of things all concerning cash. The, the first thing that I want to sort of preface is uh, we're not going to talk about like what's the best money market or what's the best savings account or whatever. There's lots of places that cash can go live, mm -hmm. but we're going to talk instead about sort of the investor attitude and what happens and why cash is really critical to any investment strategy. Okay. So first of all, let's understand a couple of things, right? Uh, some of what drives this is we'll have investors that will come to us and they'll go, uh, Hey, I need to take, I want to take money out of my investment account because it's just sitting there in cash and it needs to be doing something. I'm going to challenge that with saying, well, what are you going to do with it? Sure. Yeah. I mean that that's that's a because that's the first thing is well what are you going to do with it? Mhm. Mm and and I'm going to suggest also that like, like pretend for a moment this is this may be a little bit more unique to our practice too at Little John Financial because we do a lot of our own money management mm -hmm. internally. So 
we actually create, in a sense, mutual funds for our customers, where everybody gets to own their own positions. I say most people, right? So, uh, and it just depends on your circumstance and what you need. And but, the size of the account, too, because sometimes it doesn't scale if there's not enough money in the account. Right. Or maybe you're a 401k participant or something, and mm -hmm. you have a menu that is sure. built with mutual funds. Okay. Well, that's different. But for many of our customers, we are designing a portfolio of investment holdings. I don't think people realize how unique that really is. Probably not. Right? Like, yeah, probably not. I mean, uh, we don't. I, I have not tried to. So here's the thing. I don't go out and sell the investments themselves as if our mousetrap is so much better and we make so much more money than everybody else that everybody should come to us. I don't say that. Because mm -hmm. I think that's really dangerous because it is. we can't predict the future any more than the other guy mm -hmm. or gal. Okay. So it's not about predicting the future, but it does mean that when we own the individual positions, we get a different level of cash control. We get a different uh, amount of input over what's occurring inside of the strategy. Because consider this for a moment. If an investor is looking at their holdings and they're saying, hey, I've got cash in this strategy right now. I better take it and go do something with it because it's not being protected from inflation. Well, you couldn't do that with a mutual fund, right? If right. you had a mutual fund that owned cash temporarily, as part of the holdings, you would just say, either I have to sell the entire mutual fund and buy something else, or you wouldn't even know because it's all masked behind the mutual fund veil, right? So what you see is the total result. You don't see how the sausage gets made. Mm -hmm. that, can, that's, that can be a blessing in some respects because the temptation to start dissecting the inner workings of your investment strategy can be pretty big. If you own a bunch of stocks, some of them are going to be winners and some are going to be losers. And all this, and a lot of people start gravitating toward watching the losers and go, well, why do we own these? Why don't we only own the ones that are winning? To which I would suggest, well, let's go back to that thing again. Can you predict the future for me? Mm -hmm. And if so, certainly let's only own winners. Let's find that baseball player that can hit a home run every single time that they step up to the bat. You right, know? right. And most of our, most of you out there listening are probably academically, you're like, well, yeah, that's ridiculous. Nobody bats a thousand. You can't pick only winners. And that's, but, we live in the same arena, right? right? And yet you'd be surprised how many folks, you may be one of them, will, will, the temptation is to gravitate toward and to look at the problem area. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, it, it's just normal, right? Imagine, uh, you know, you, you just get your car out of the car wash and no, the, the, it, you miss a spot. That's all you look at is the spot that you miss. Yeah. It's not like, well, the car's like 99% clean, right? There was 1% not clean. The 1% I care about. And that happens in real, regular life. It's true. Right? So uh, there's this temptation to start picking things apart. And I see this also with the the cash holdings is well i just don't well, want to own cash or here's the other one why if i'm paying you to be invested hey, aren't you invested i can answer that for you uh here's it here this is the cash show we're talking about ways that cash can be advantageous well let's talk about that one position right that isn't doing so hot and you're focusing on it and saying well that one's the loser but if you still believe in that position long term you might want to have some cash on hand so that you can go get more of it if you still believe in the position. Wait a second. It sounds to me like you're talking about managing your average cost per unit. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Matt, talk a little bit more about 
what that means and how that works just for a second? One of the strategies that investors use is something called dollar cost averaging. And it's exactly what we just described. Say you get into a position and you're like, you know what, I want to own this position for 10 years. I love the company and I see a lot of growth on the horizon. But you go in and you buy some shares. Maybe you don't put all of your money in, but you buy some shares and then a month later, the stock's down 5%. Do you still want to own it? I would want to own that position, right? And so I would go and I'd buy a little bit more. And I would draw down the average cost that I paid for that stock by doing so. And that's one of the huge benefits to having some cash on hand. Yeah. Well, and I'm going to add to this just a little bit because you said you draw down the cost. You don't necessarily lower the, lower the cost by spreading out your purchases. But the idea is that you take on less risk, that you take all the money, buy everything right now, and you're wrong. Right, mm -hmm. and then, and then it goes down immediately. And great, great. Now I put the money in, and it's down. now if your holding period is ten years, you really don't care that much. Mm -hmm. I mean, you do because nobody likes to open a statement and see the loss, but you're not selling it, which means you have time for this thing to recover and move along. So you can sort of absorb the the pain temporarily because long term it should start to sort of all work its way out in the wash. But for a lot of folks that maybe don't have a predefined time horizon of infinity. Right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of a Warren Buffett thing, by the way. It's like, well, let's just buy this thing and hold it forever. Uh, and, and even Warren Buffett doesn't hold things forever. He says, I'm going to no. hold it forever until I change my mind. Mm -hmm. That is sort of what he says in reality. But what, what, it's, what we're doing is we're saying, well, rather than take everything I have and buying it right now and guessing that this is the perfect time to buy, I spread it out over time. If the price goes up and I buy two or three times over time, then I'm still going to get my average price will be higher. Right? So while I I will have missed some opportunity. However, if the price goes down, I will be accumulating more at that low price, which is going to reduce my average cost per share, and it also means if the price goes down, I still have some dry powder. That's how you are going to mm -hmm. manage the risk in this one. So this happens regularly in our practice where let's say i'm just going to pick fictional example but let's say we have 20 stocks in an investment strategy mm -hmm. and we're looking at these 20 stocks and we have three or four of them that are up pretty well and we have three or four of them that are down pretty well we would intentionally sell the winners in some circumstances and then turn around and rebuy the things that are down if we still like them right and the benefit is you're capturing the profits on one side and you're buying the dip on the other side and lowering your average cost per unit on those things that are down. It could be that the trends continue exactly like they were. The stuff, the price of the things that were up keeps going up and the price that go, were down keeps going down. That could happen. But oftentimes, investments are cyclical in nature. They don't continue on a single trend forever. They go down for a while until they look too cheap and then investors pile back in. If you don't believe me, go look at any of the big stocks right now since 2022 when all everything fell and then it went back up right tesla is fun stock to talk about and easy to talk about because we don't really own it in our portfolios right mm -hmm. handful of clients that came in and said individually we want to own it leave it in there and don't touch it fair enough but it's not in any of our investment strategies presently so it's fun to talk about because i could sort of pick on it without having to, to say well we own it or whatever Tesla had these has had these big meteoric runs and then these big collapses, 
right? And you, if you timed it perfectly, you could have several trips where you made it's not like 35% year to date. Right, so if you'd have bought it in January, you could be up thirty five percent in right. Tesla. But if you rewind, but would you have bought it in January when it looked horrible? Mm-hmm. Right, when you go, well, this thing it used to be a six hundred dollars stock, and now it's a hundred and seventy dollars stock, or whatever it fell to. Mm. And it's just you have to have an iron stomach for that kind of stuff. Right, and if you were to go back to the beginning of twenty twenty two, and you were to have bought it then, even though it's up thirty percent or whatever year to date, you'd still be negative in the trade, and that's why. What right. we just talked about is so important. So if you can average that, yeah. Cost. So the the averaging of it, but remember, this is the cash show. So what does cash have to do with this? Mm. Don't worry, I'll tell you. But we're running long. Okay. We got to take an evil profit break, right? So stick around. We'll do that when we come back. We're talking about how does cash play into dollar cost averaging? This and more on the True Wealth Show. I'm Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon, and you're listening to yeah, still the True Wealth Show on News Radio 93.9 FM and 12:40 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where if you are just joining us, you can get caught back up. Uh, today is the Cash Show, and you're like, what are we talking about cash for? Well. Grab the podcast. We're giving away too many secrets. Don't check it out. We can't. You yeah, know. No, don't yeah. come look at listen to the podcast. Yeah, don't you do will. it. It's isn't it funny? Uh, I don't know when this happened, but there there are so few like air quotes, right? Secrets mm-hmm. that I don't give away on air. There was this point in life where I thought if I had secret sauce, it would somehow make it like magic, and everybody would want to mm. you know work with us and whatnot, and then. It turns out you gave away the recipe to the secret sauce and now more people want it. Well, the people that work with us, they're just too, usually they're busy or they don't want to do it, right? There there are a lot of reasons that people don't do their own investing, but most of it has to do with just personal bandwidth or personal desire, right? Like Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know what your reason is that you don't want to do it or you can't get to it, but it's easier to have somebody else help. And it's not because we're so smart and, and you're not. That's not why it's people time hire consuming us. though. Well it it's yeah, it does. It takes because a, to stay on top of it, yeah. you have to stay in it, right? You do. So that's the issue. I think this is kind of a Dave Ramsey thing. It's like why do you not play the credit card game? Because there's so many moving parts that eventually you make a mistake and then you end up paying the dumb tax, right? Yep. So that's the the key. We got this whole team of folks that are managing it and to try and avoid making the dumb mistakes. Well, yeah, often yeah. the cost of the mistake is way more than the cost of having somebody else do it. Absolutely. <laughs> We've seen that so many times. Yeah. So so that's kind of the, the magic behind this. And it's also why, look, if it's not us, find somebody that you trust, that you like, that you can identify with, and that does what they say they're going to do. There needs to be the follow through. It can't just be, well, I like him and I trust him. If they don't do the work, that's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. You have to follow through on it. Uh, and that was the other thing for a long time. I was like, well, gosh, you know, you go to Vanguard or somebody, and they're going to give it away. Not knocking Vanguard here. They do really low cost strategies for some of their mutual funds, like super low cost, but they don't do the thing for you. They just sort of hand it to you. Go, all right, do whatever you want. Yeah. With here's it. the menu order, whatever you want, but yeah, we're not going like to tell you if it's good or not. It's like going to the grocery store. Then you have to cook the meal. Yeah. And I'm like, well, like, do you want to order dinner or do you want to order the things to build dinner. Right. That'd be like going to the grocery store and getting the groceries and going out to eat and being like, I don't want to pay the, the cost of the actual food. I just want you to, to prepare Yeah, I just it. want yeah. the restaurant experience, but I don't yeah. want to pay for it. Uh-huh. But, well, and I think the problem is that a lot of investors have been sold the idea 
that that is the cheaper the better the cheaper the better yeah like just get it for cheap 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 and i go well you know because a little birdie told me right cheap 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 uh (laughs) um that's a new t-shirt idea (laughs) i'm seeing a bird and i'm seeing cheap 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 (laughs) yeah and and that's the thing it's it's well i think that was a dave ramsey when it's the 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 fifi investor right Mm -hmm. just watching out for all the fees like oh grab your fifi (laughs) so uh the if somebody's doing their job those fees should become not they should be an investment Right. That they're really like, hey, if you can call and they pick up the phone, first of all, you're way ahead because so many places you try to call. And what do you get on the phone? You get a robot. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. You're going to get AI answering the phone and guessing at what you mean. And, And the real catch is that most of these places, the vast majority are very, very limited in what they can tell you. There's a handful of places that they say, oh, well, we have CFPs on staff and they can do this, that, and the other, but they'll still limit the engagement very, very specifically to what they will talk about. Mm-hmm. And it's liability management, right? So fiduciary, but with a very narrow uh, scope of what they're authorized to speak about. Uh, so you're not going to get a lot of financial planning input typically, or if you get financial planning input, you're not going to get investment input. And and you're it's that's just the challenge, right? So well, they have to make it scale, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, thousands of people calling. You have to have it as a system. Yeah. It can't be one on one if it's thousands and well, thousands like of people. It's like being in the army. Everybody wears the same uniform. Yeah. Right. So you're all going to start to look the same because that's the way you manage. You're all going to get the same customers. gun. You're all going to get the same ammo. Same, same boots. Yeah. Same same uniform. Same hat. Right. And yeah, for some people, different sizes. Ooh, customization. Right. Right. You know, you're a small, medium, or large, whatever. But and for some yeah. people, that's fine. Right. Well, it sure. Does, it works for accomplishing specific mission profiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, the military's mission profile is typically overwhelming force, right? Yeah. Now, the military does have special forces, right? And they get real niche and they get different equipment and they get different. Sometimes they're undercover. They have different uniforms, long hair, all kinds of stuff that looks different. Okay. And I, I like to think of us as sort of the boutique special forces version. Oh, please compare us to like like a SEAL team or something. Like, well, yeah, for your investments. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah, SEAL there team we for go. Your investment. No, oh, no, man. no insulting SEAL teams. They're they're probably tougher than we are. Uh, but you know, it's that idea of specialization, having Absolutely. the right tools, having the ability to specialize. And for us, we're not scaling to ten thousand customers, right? We're scaling to you know much smaller household level. Uh, we do have customers all over the place, but if you were to look at our staff ratio compared to the typical, we have a lot more staff. Like, like this blows people away, but we, we have, have no phone to. Tree. Yeah, we yeah, have, we have to no have phone more tree. staff. If, if you got voicemail, it's because everybody is on the phone at the same time, which is pretty rare. freakishly weird. Yeah, but you leave a message and you will get a call back. That's how that works. So anyway, uh, enough about that. We've got to get back to our cash discussion here. Uh, so cash, first of all, Matt. Yeah, where did we leave? What are off? major asset classes? Equities, right? Okay. So you could hold stocks. You could lend money out and be lend someone. Or so yeah. Fixed income. Okay. Mm-hmm. You could go into bonds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, cash is an asset, though. Right. Yeah, we and have real I mean, estate is yeah, kind of alternatives. Yeah. In that one, you know, commodities can live there. So gold mm-hmm. or precious metals. Gold. Real estate, real estate lives yeah. in there. Uh, commodities like when you get into you know farm crops and futures and cattle things like that these are actually you know livestock's a tangible good 
right? It's it's a different kind of commodity. It's not the same as gold, right? You know, Antique firearms. Have... I'll put those in there. You know, side note. Okay, this one's totally relevant to our audience here, but it's kind of crazy. And to our YouTube watchers, it's going to upset some people. But uh, firearms have historically been a really fascinating investment in that they store value really well. They're not super liquid. There's a bunch of regulations that you need to be mm -hmm. aware of. But rarely do they decline in value. Yeah. Right? Like, if you use one, then it you know you can wear it out and you can sort of use it up because it has a finite lifespan in theory but a lot of firearms do function as collector items oh i've experienced that personally yeah and so uh, i've had for a long time this concept of a real estate investment trust that utilized firearms and munitions hmm. and the really interesting concept would be that you know could you redeem like going into a direct redemption where it's like, look, I'm going to go somewhere. The, wait, the fund is like actually facility. backed by firearms. Like you can no, go. No, it would literally own them. That's interesting. Right. And I don't know what the legality of is, but I'm just saying on air here, I've always thought it would be interesting if you could have a firearms cache. I mean, it's, it's unlikely and probably difficult because one, you have to secure it. I mean, can you imagine the liability if somebody was able to break in and, you know, all of a sudden fortify themselves within the facility? Like that mm -hmm. would be a problem. But it's an interesting concept that these firearms do store value really well. Mm -hmm. They are, there is risk associated, there's regulatory risk. There's a lot of other elements that are at risk, uh, not to mention the fact that they are capable of doing a lot of harm. So that would be really a, a conceptually interesting, but isn't it funny to think about how asset classes can be categorized? Mm -hmm. So my question, and let's get back on topic is, why don't we consider cash an asset? That's and a good question. That's a leading the witness yeah. question, right? Because maybe you do. Maybe cash is an asset to you, but it seems like cash doesn't get the love. That it a lot doesn't. Of get. It. I mean, in the mainstream way that we think about things, I think cash, especially lately, has almost been more of a liability, right? Mm -hmm. Because people say it's sitting there, and inflation is running hot and so it's worth less today than it was yesterday right so let's talk a little bit about that here uh, just just for a brief moment so how much does inflation eat away at your purchasing power it depends on the year too yeah well and it depends on what are you purchasing mm -hmm. right because inflation is not uniform across the board no uh, so this this really brings a number of questions sort of to the top of my brain uh, and I want answers, David. I yeah, want the well, answers right now. We can, yeah. Well, if you can ask the questions, I can try to answer <laughs> them for you. If I have to ask the question and answer it, that's cheating. Uh, but you think about back to our, our cash home base, and let's first talk about inflation because that's where we were mm -hmm. hinting at, right? How much is your purchasing power being impacted? That's a tricky question. I mean, I know inflation numbers have been around 9%. They've been slowly coming down. They haven't come. So that's so, pretty significant, right? 9% right. inflation. That was where we peaked. Your cash is in trouble. Mm -hmm. Now, I have a super trick question for you. Oh, okay? I'm ready. Good. I'm going to make you wait until after the break. Oh, come on. I know. I'm the worst. I want all of our listeners to stick around and come back for this. The trick question about how damaging is inflation? And the answer is coming right after this. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you're listening to The True Wall on News Radio 93.9 FM, 
and 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where I am your host, Dave Littlejohn, but in studio, Wiz Kid. Matt Dixon. Right, Wiz Young Man. Mm. That, that, that does not roll off the tongue, right? Uh, age is just a number. Age is just a number. It's fun. We did uh, pictures today, too. And uh, yeah, height is not just a number, by the way. Matt's a head taller than me. Uh, not that much. You make me look like a midget. Hmm. Can I say that? Is that inappropriate on air? That I don't probably, think so. Somebody's going to be offended by that. Sorry if I offended you. Hey, you know what? I'm over offending people. If you're offended, just be offended and let's just <laughs> yeah, it, move it, on. It was, it was not supposed to be mean. I'm just saying Matt's really tall. I am. Right? And I'm not a short dude. I'm six one, and I'm like, I'm dude, awkwardly tall. Matt's so tall that he ha- he can only drive certain vehicles. It's true. Yeah. I really wanted to own a two-door Jeep Wrangler for years. I mean years. I was looking for the right deal. I went and sat in one and tried to drive it. I Game could. Over. I physically could not get my foot to the clutch. Yeah. So Couldn't do it. The most hilarious thing that I could do is send Matt to a business conference and force him to fly in regular coach. Do you know how painful that is? My yeah. legs. It's like I'd rather go in the baggage compartment. Yeah, I have to like <laughs> contort my body. I have to have the aisle seat, and my legs have to stick out in the aisle. Because he's not just no. tall. He's like it's all legs. Long legs, small all, torso. It's it, like, it's you're true. Like a high jumper, dude. Yeah. You really are. You just need to work on your form. I, you think maybe an Olympic run? I was a good high jumper with terrible form, right? So like, is that really a good high jumper then? I was fourth in the state, and I had no form. I was a board. I couldn't arch my back at all. It was all vertical and long legs. I just want to tease you right now about that. I, now i got to ask, yeah. how high did you high jump? It wasn't that high. Well, not at state at least. The The fourth place mark that year I think was six foot. Right, like it okay. wasn't that extreme, right. but well, it's a high it's school th- level. That's totally acceptable. Yeah. So, good deal. All right, well, back to we promised our listeners at the break. Right, we we're talking about how cash when there's inflation, inflation is eating away. Mm-hmm. But there's a big question about how much damage is being done. Right now, it's so I've relative. already cheated because I prepped Matt during the break a little bit. So we're gonna now is the pop quiz. Yeah, well, here's the problem. I don't prep very well. So <laughs> yeah, here's the problem. I never listen to you, Dave. Yeah, I'm <laughs> lots of nodding. Uh huh. I totally got this. <laughs> then the question comes, and you're like, "What happened to this guy?" I'll give you a hint. I'm ready. Opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right. The issue it, with trying to say, well, you know, inflation's eating away at my purchasing power. So compared to what other thing could you be in, Mm -hmm. right? Because if you were invested somewhere that was losing value, then you'd be better off in cash. It hurts more, right? Mm -hmm. But what happens, this is what I see at least. Professionally, I see this a lot, is if somebody, especially if they choose the investment, somebody else chooses the investment for them and it's going down, they're like, why didn't you leave me in cash, right? Because it's easier Mm -hmm. when you're... When you get to that, yeah, that hindsight is twenty twenty thing. Yeah, well, it's real. And and sometimes people honestly, I think they mistakenly believe that their financial professional is clairvoyant, mm-hmm. right? Like you guys know this stuff, right? You were supposed to know the market was going down. To which I would say, if I knew which direction the market was going, it wouldn't be a bet. I'd load up every time, and in a in thirty days, I'd be a bazillionaire, and I could quit. 
Yeah. Right? I mean, if you've ever seen, like, you ever seen the game uh, where if you took a grain of rice and doubled it on a chessboard, there's 64. In 30 days. Right? Yeah. So, like, you can't, you, like, run out of places to keep the grain. Like, you run out of all the rice in the world if you double it, the number of checkerboards on a chessboard, with starting with one grain. So, every square, you've uh, twice as many as previous. Mm-hmm. You'll just run out. Okay? So, it's insane how much doubling things are so if i could do that in the market i could just double my money every day for 30 days i'd be done yeah you'd be retired and so would all of your clients yeah i heck if you in in and in fact probably in about 60 days i could solve the national debt problem sure right it's it's astronomical how compound interest could work like that go ask your math teacher if you don't believe me right so students fun math problem right what would it take to solve the national debt problem if you were a it capable of you know getting a double your return every time right now we also know that just because it's no fun here but that's mechanically impossible like you'd run out of opportunities in the marketplace because you couldn't get anybody bet on the other side against you right, right. like too big a bet you're taking like, uh-uh, a- if you get if you're gonna win every time there's no way i'm taking that bet yeah and you'd have so much money that in order to put it in on one thing and double it You'd be taking oh, yeah. up the How whole thing. How do you thing. double a trillion dollars? Right. That's the that was yeah. the thing when Apple or Google or some of these companies hit trillion dollar market caps. You think about that. Go. How do you double a trillion dollars? Right. It becomes a lot more difficult than doubling a something that's worth a million like, dollars. Well, you know, it seems like the government's doing it. To which I just you know shake my head. And, that's and an interesting of theory you kind of just touched on. How much bigger can something get? Well, you, you know? run into these compounding problems where doubling a hundred million dollar company to two hundred mm-hmm. million is, is it's big, but it's it's quite manageable relative to other things. But when companies started going into billions, those were big companies. I remember like when ten billion was considered a mega cap stock twenty years ago. Today, ten billion is like barely into mid caps, hmm. right? They're just the the numbers are staggering that you have trillion dollar companies now. So in theory, there's more growth potential in a small cap than in a large cap. Well, it's easier to double. Let's put it that way. It doesn't necessarily, because these companies are here, and we're also dealing with staggering dollar figures. Think about the U.S., the the gross domestic product for the United States is like 18, 19 trillion a year now, something like that. Uh, I I mean, it used to be above 17 trillion, right? And then that's what made it crazy is when the national debt exceeded our GDP. That's a real bellwether where people are like, this is historically a bad sign. And when you get to about 140% of GDP, that's typically, and I'm pulling these from statistical memory, so I might be mistaken on this one, but I recall at about 140% of GDP, if you have debt to GDP ratio 1.4 or higher, that you're starting to look at bankruptcy. Like that's hmm. where Greece was at. 1.4 so is kind of that magic yeah, it, number-ish. It's, so, so figure if we're at a $20 trillion economy, then at, at about $28 trillion in debt, you start to wonder about whether or not we can ever pay it back. Do you, do you know kind of roughly where we're at? I don't at even the want moment. to know right now, Matthew. It probably just gets so depressing where you're just like, oh, you know, we you, keep getting closer to, and closer to this number, right? I can right? give you the answer. Stall for about 10 seconds. You here. know, I can stall for a lot longer than that. Yeah. I just think it's so interesting because what we're slated to raise the debt ceiling again right now. Correct. I mean, yeah, we, that's the debate right now. Yeah. And so that decision is going to change this ratio once again okay. and not for the better. U.S. national debt, mm-hmm. 31.7, almost 31.8 trillion. 
31 trillion in debt. Yeah. Okay. Debt per taxpayer, not per citizen, but per active How much taxpayer, do I owe? What's my portion, David? 248,000. Mm, okay. Revenue per citizen just over 13 well, 13,700. And I'm trying to look at uh, and this by the way, you can go to usdebtclock.com. Uh, that's org. I don't like looking at that website. I've been there before, it's, and it's watching our right? debt just compound mm-hmm. infinitely by the second, it makes you just kind of puke in your mouth a little bit. It does. So, at, at any rate, the debts are astronomical. I don't know what the threshold is, but um, debt to GDP ratio is presently one hundred and twenty point four seven. Hmm. Okay. And in nineteen sixty, we were at fifty two percent. Interestingly enough, in 1980, 34.58. And then in huh. 2000, we were at just shy of 58%, presently 120.47% of GDP. 120. So, so I was wrong. GDP is uh, over $26 trillion now. Okay. So I said it was like 17. That shows you where well, see, it's Well, it's gone up a lot, though. And it has. It, even right now, we're quote unquote in a recessionary environment. But if you look at the GDP numbers, right, we've had multiple quarters of positive GDP. Yeah. So it's growing, even in oh, a market. That was just federal debt to GDP. If we include state in there, we're at 134.11%. Oh. Okay, painful, painful. All of this to suggest that... Uh, the, you know, well, we've doubled since. <laughs> I don't even, I, I don't know how we... we Our ratios like, rat, Ran off the rabbit trail tracking down debt today on on this show well debt and cash are highly correlated right well I mean, in debt some regard and cash i i I'll, I'll i'll draw the correlation this way that it, it, it doesn't matter for the sake of what we're talking about here other than uh if we look today at what's going on in the economy we're we're trying to rein in you know inflation is going to be a, a major part of that equation yeah, it's- you're going to see rates go up so mm-hmm. that debt gets more expensive to carry because and, you can't and, finance your right. government on the lower rates if, if you need to yeah. slow down inflation. Well, and say you want to go get a loan and interest rates are at 7 8%, that makes your cash even more valuable. This yeah. is the cash show. So so we'll let's connect this dot here mm-hmm. and and you know bef- I don't want to take a break yet, so don't just just careful Dale. Uh but <laughs> the the dot to connect is that when you th- think about inflation, right? Mm-hmm. Then think about your cost of capital, okay, and your alternatives. One of the things that we want to talk about a little bit was arbitrage, okay? okay. That word doesn't get used a lot uh, on radio. If you've not heard it, it's okay. What's your definition? This is a simple definition. It means that you're able to access capital mm-hmm. at a lower price and then turn around and take advantage at a higher price. So if it you can- could go get a loan for $100,000 at 2% and then turn around yeah. and invest it at 6%, your arbitrage there is lending you for. Right. Let's give you real-world examples. And this is where uh, I, I promised our viewers the mm. Dave Ramsey conundrum. Oh, here we okay, go. So this is what I want I'm to looking forward finish to this. up this segment with is the Dave Ramsey conundrum. Dave Ramsey, uh, and I think largely rightfully so, is very anti-debt, mm-hmm. specifically credit card debt. Mm-hmm. Right. And and there's lots of reasons for that. We can get into everything from mechanical to spiritual reasons. That's a bad idea. OK, well, one of the things that will happen is people will carry all the way through to I want to get rid of all debt, including my mortgage. 
And Ooh. here's the issue. If you have a mortgage that you locked in at like 3% mm-hmm. for 30 years, do you realize that right now there are high interest savings accounts yielding over four, in some cases, four and a half percent. And so somebody says, I just want it paid for. And I go, okay, then what you're doing is you are going to pay something down because it feels good, but it's not the superior financial decision. Right. Because the arbitrage is, why would you take the money and sink it into your home when the home is appreciating whether it's paid for or not? Yeah. But now you're tying up your free capital in the house where that free capital could have been earning more than the interest was costing you. You were arbitraging the capital and by sinking it into the home, that's the issue. Now, I have to be very careful about this on this program. You know why? Because we can't give you specific advice no. on air. Yeah. That's cute. That's true. But that's not why I'm being careful. Oh. I'm careful because some idiot out there, yeah, you, I'm calling you an idiot. They're we'll going to go loan a bunch I'm of gonna money. I'm going to go and borrow and do this thing because I'm going to borrow on my credit cards at 0% and invest it and make the money. I'm like, And then you won't pay it back off and you'll do more harm than good and you'll blow yourself up. This only applies to people with financial discipline and level and a level of organization capable of pulling it off, which the vast majority of people, they don't. They don't do it. So, you, you know, you create this financial pain by doing stupid moves. So you're an idiot if you do that. You, you can't do it responsibly. You don't know how much I just appreciated that. I had to kind of pull away from the microphone or I was going to break I, like, up laughing like, on air. But someone would do it. Well, That's the, the funniest part. Like, like the people that hire financial advisors are trying to not be idiots. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the people that are trying to justify why they need to make $1,000 a month car payments when they earn $1,500 a month and they have to pay rent too, idiot. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no, there's a better way than that. No. And every time we say, well, gosh, the system's just not fair and it costs this much and this, that, the other thing, you're contributing to the problem. And when everybody does it that way, right? Yeah. It's just, then no essentially, want- there's no reason for any company to cut its price if everybody runs out and pays it regardless of what they do right mm-hmm. like tesla doesn't have to cut its price because they have a waiting list right and well the sales slow down it's like compared to what there's still a waiting list okay so i don't i don't get that part but anyway so here at the true well show we're training people to not be idiots you know but fortunately our listeners are not idiots Right. That's why that's why we've got you here as listeners. Mm. All right. Well, and if you are an idiot, we'll train you out of it. How about yeah. that? Yeah. Maybe we can't fix stupid, but we might be able to fix idiot. Uh-huh. There <laughs> it is. That's a behavior, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. That's the for the last segment I want to talk about. The Dave Ramsey conundrum of paying off all debt, debt's but, bad, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the debt is automatically bad. It's like, well, we don't want the debt, but sometimes the debt you may still be able to have an advantage same reason that if the government was borrowing i'd rather them do it when it's cheap than expensive Mm -hmm. you know we could have a debate about that around the current bond environment that's going up for election i'm not making a comment pro or con because it hasn't happened yet but you know the cost of that rates are higher right Right. so if you're going to take that bond out right now the interest rate is going to be higher doesn't mean it's not needed Mm-hmm. Right. That so our voters get to make that decision. But nevertheless, the cost of capital matters. It does, and that's part of the cash equation. So, all right, we'll bring it all home. But we got to take 
one last obscene profit break. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You got True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And we are bringing you the home stretch of the True Wealth Show. Remember, you can grab this. Today's been the cash show. It's been a blast. We've With been a having a bunch of time. other stuff in it, too, not just cash. You know what? We're everywhere. We've uh, we dogged on national debt a little bit. We talked about debt to GDP. We've talked a little bit about uh, arbitrage. We've talked about... Uh, dollar cost averaging and position sizing. Uh, there are a couple things that I still want to say about cash for investors. Right? Okay. One, I think cash is an asset. I okay? do too. And not just like, oh yeah, it's good to have. No, I mean like it's part of your asset class. It's it is useful because one, it helps to allow. It, it's a friction reducer, if you will, financially. You need to make transactions unless you want to have a margin account. Uh, which margin means you're, you're going to use borrowed money. It, it, it enables you to make transactions because you can buy and sell things typically more easily because if you you don't have to wait for so having a little bit of cash you can you can, you can add to a position more easily because you've got some available. Uh, I also like cash because when an opportunity presents itself, and this is probably my favorite thing to consider cash. If I could get every investor out there to just kind of mentally rename this, it's your opportunity reserve. Mm-hmm. Okay. When an opportunity shows up, you have the ability to purchase. You can add two positions. If the position is down and you like it, you can buy more when it is cheap if you have a little bit of cash. So I don't think it's inherently... Now, how much cash? Okay. Now we're treading into the personal advice world, and mm-hmm. that's you have to be careful about that. But let me just su- suggest that 1% to 2% is not an unusual amount of cash to have on hand in any portfolio. That's just enough to kind of make things be able to move more easily. The problem is if you get a million bucks, one to 2%, you're sitting on 20 grand in cash. Uh, here's the good thing about cash. If you need to take some money out, then you don't have to force liquidate something at an inopportune time. Mm-hmm. It's also why we suggest having an emergency fund or a set aside fund separate from your investment strategy, because you really should be invading those monies first so you don't have to sell things at the wrong time. Correct. Okay. But cash as an asset it's an opportunity waiting to happen okay it is something that's predictable because the downside is quite stable so you've taken the 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 markets go both up and down you've kind of taken some of that off the table because it doesn't go down at least typically if properly designed so it's a really useful math tool because it's basically really really conservative fixed income and that's, it's, that's lever- and it's a bunch of leverage in the right opportunity too. Yeah. It's well, and it's it's buying time, buying flexibility. So I just want to remind folks that cash is still our friend. Cash is still king in many respects. Mm-hmm. So I was if wondering if that was going to come out. The yeah. cash is king. We you, got you, it in the last few minutes of yeah. the show here. You, you you have that opportunity sitting around, and um, you know, do I want you to sit in big chunks of cash long term? Probably not. That's not mm-hmm. working for you, but. If you have cash on hand for a few weeks or even a few months while you're waiting for opportunities, I think that's acceptable as long as you have a strategy to put it to work appropriately. Mm-hmm. Right. So, call it if we if we wanted to lead with or leave the day with this thought, cash is simply your liquidity that's available. Right. How mm-hmm. liquid do you need your portfolio to be, and what level of opportunity do you want to be able to seize, and there you go. So it's it's a it's an important buffer. 
There you, and that's it. So uh, what if someone needs help kind of navigating these waters? They don't know how much cash they have. They don't know if they should be invested. They're uncertain, and they need help. What can they do? Well, first of all, they can call us. Okay? 541-375-0898. Right. We do not charge for initial consults, so you don't need to worry about the meter running on you to just get a second opinion. We've got some really cool tools that we can use to help you identify how much risk and you have even in the strategy. if we can't help you, we got a ton of free tools that we can send your way. Exactly. So the idea here is if you're not going to use us, find somebody that can help if you're not going to do it yourself. Otherwise, we would be delighted to help you. And with that, the music is playing, and we are out of time. So one more time, Matt, the phone number for them to reach us. Little John Financial is at 541-375-0898. All right. And also go to littlejohnfs.com, and you can also email info at littlejohnfs.com if you'd like to reach us. That phone number is also textable. So all the ways to reach us. But we're out of time for now. Until next time, this has been Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You're listening to True Wealth. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.